So we're in this three-week series called Questions About Heaven. And uh, today we looked at, at the second question, who will be in heaven? Uh, Sunday school teacher asked her class, how do you get into heaven? And one little guy outlined his strategy for getting into heaven. He explained, my plan is I'll keep running in and out of the door, and when they say, shut the door, I'll step inside and just stay inside. We all want to go to heaven, so what is your plan to get there? Well, one option is you could live a, a perfect, sinless life, but so far only Jesus qualified that way. Another option is to pass away while a child in a state of innocence and before you reach an age of accountability and become culpable for willfully defying God. But we're past that, that age and stage, so what about the rest of us? I just uh, want to look at some scripture passages today that we don't look at all the time. And I'm going to move quickly. I invite you to take notes on your bulletin there and the insert there and keep track of some of the scriptures just for later study. But I want you to see today that our, our choices determine whether or not we will spend eternity in heaven. This has been one of the most difficult messages to write that I have ever prepared. Who will be in heaven? And I don't presume to speak for God. I'm not asserting that my opinion is infallible. But it is based on what God has already told us in his word. And so I think we can draw some accurate conclusions that I believe will line up with God and, and answer this week's question about heaven, who will be in heaven? So let's work backward and, and begin with an assessment of who won't be in heaven. And those who persist in, in choosing their own way instead of following God's will will disqualify themselves from heaven. I've shared the quote before that C.S. Lewis divided all people into two categories. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says, thy will be done. And salvation is a, a gift freely available to all people. But there are those who choose to decline the provisions that, that God offers. And that's what I mean when I say our choices determine whether or not we will spend eternity in heaven. God has made his grace available to every one of us, but not everyone will claim that gift or appropriate that provision. One individual whom I don't expect to see in heaven is Judas, who betrayed Jesus. And some people have attempted to romanticize the character of Judas and, and give the impression that he was a hapless pawn but Judas had free will to choose greed and selling out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, or he could reject greed. And at the Last Supper, Jesus gave a final chance for Judas to do the right thing, but he betrayed the Lord. He regretted it, but he didn't fully repent and, and return the following Christ. It says in Matthew 26, verse 24, this is Jesus talking at, at the Last Supper, right in that context where there's that tension, that tug of war, where Satan was, was trying to pull Judas over. And, and this is what Jesus said in, in reference to himself. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been 
born. And so I, I think I'm safe in asserting that I don't believe that we're going to see Judas in heaven. But a, another person that the Bible, I think, indicates may not be in heaven is, is Demas. D-E-M-A-S. Demas was a faithful leader in the first century church. And he went from receiving a, a friendly acknowledgement by the, uh, you know, the Apostle Paul in Colossians 4, verse 14, where it said, Our dear friend Luke the doctor and Demas send greetings. You know, how would you like that? The Apostle Paul's giving a shout out to you. And you're right up there with, with Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. You know, that, that would have been pretty cool. And, and then later he was referenced in Philemon chapter 1, verse 24. And there's a, a listing of, of fellow workers. And he says, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Again, here's the Apostle Paul saying, hey, that's our team. These are our guys. They've got my back. But something changed along the way. And the Apostle Paul would change his positivity about Demas and issue a stern denunciation in 2 Timothy chapter 4, the last chapter Paul is believed to have written before his death in verse 10. And it says, For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. And says so something changed. And Demas bailed on Paul, bailed on his faith, was viewed as a deserter, and it says it's because he loved this world more than the church, than the Lord. You see, Demas started well, but he didn't finish well. He was guilty of loving this world, of leaving his spiritual post, of deserting the Apostle Paul. Who won't be in heaven? Well, those who persist in sin without repenting. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 outlines some serious missteps that unless one repents and changes can eternally jeopardize one's soul. It says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So does that mean if you've ever committed any of those sins that it's one and done, you're, you're out? No, that's, that's not at all what it's saying. Listen to the next verse. And that is what some of you were, past tense, before Christ, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. God is in the change business. And since we're not going to qualify for heaven by being perfect, we can qualify because we have a perfect Savior. And by His grace, we can be forgiven regardless of our sins. And so the Corinthian Christians were, were really just the opposite of Demas. The, the, the Corinthian Christians didn't start well, but they did finish well. So let's go on to the second area. Move from those that we are pretty sure won't be in heaven. We don't expect to see them. But let, let's move to uh, this next category. Who wouldn't be expected to be in heaven? 
the elderly Christian lady lamented, it's, it's taken me so long to die that I'm afraid that all my friends who've gone on before me are going to think I'm not going to heaven. You know, it's, it's, it's been a while. Well, there are no perfect people, and there are no perfect churches, and God uses each of us for his purpose, even with our failings and frailties. Max Lucado observed, God seems to have a soft spot in his heart for the flawed and the frauds. And when you read Hebrews chapter 11, which is called the, the faith chapter, the hall of fame of faith, it becomes apparent that we are all works in progress. Or in other words, we're all a piece of work. And we, we, we read about some of the people that, that God used in, in the rest of the story. Uh, sometimes we're aware of their heroics and their accomplishments, but we forget their uh, weaknesses and their human uh, foibles. And so uh, let, let's look at the first person that maybe you wouldn't expect to be in, in heaven would be Noah the drunk. It, it says in, in Genesis 9.20, Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. So Noah wasn't just the guy that saved the earth from a flood and kept animal life sustained and, and human life, but he, he had a, a weakness as well. And yet he's mentioned here in Hebrews chapter 11 in, in this Hall of Fame chapter. It says in verse 7, By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, uh, and, and there are a lot of Bible scholars that believe that at the time of, of Noah, it had not yet rained on the earth. There's no mention of rain. And with the Garden of Eden, it had this lush tropical uh, moisture and this mist, this vapor lock that uh, there's one theory that it had never rained. So when he said, hey, God's going to flood the earth, they're going, <laughs> what are you talking about? You know, and it may have been something just outside of their, their sphere of experience. It says, by his faith... He condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Uh, Abraham, we know about him being the father of many nations and, and his great faith when he was challenged to sacrifice his son Isaac. And again, we think of him as being this, this paragon of, of faith and vision, but um, he had his weaknesses too. And uh, Abraham, Abraham was a, a liar. When it was convenient, he would bend the truth. And so they were into the territory there uh, where the, the king of Gihar was, Abimelech. And so Abraham said to his wife, hey, you're really a good-looking girl, and I'm just afraid when we go in there that he's going to want to just kill me and take you for his wife. So let's just tell him that I'm your brother. And this guy was really solid, wasn't he? Tell him I'm your brother which was a half-truth. She was a half-sister. And then, you know, we'll, we'll just leave it at that, and, um, you know, I'll, I'll be spared. And, well, it, it backfired. And so the king had, had taken Sarah to, to be his wife, and then it was revealed that actually she's Abraham's wife. He said, why did you do this? Why did you lie? He said, well, it's kind of the truth. You know, we are kind of related. We're you know, we're cousins or half, half, you know, we're from West Virginia. We're still kind of half, 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 half and, and so uh, let's strike that from the second service, okay? That, that was not in my notes. That would not appear in the second service. So. 
and uh, I apologize to anyone who has family roots in, in West Virginia. So, yeah, it was a hyperbole, just an exaggeration. So at, at that point, Abraham, yeah, he just, uh, he had struggles with, with telling the truth. And yet, was God able to use him? Was God able to work through him? Well, it says, it says in verse 8, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. You imagine that day where God said, I'm going to make you the father of many nations, and you're going to go inhabit this new country you haven't seen, and I'll be there with you. I'm going to bless you greatly. And he goes home and tells his wife, hey, um, God wants us to move. Really? Yeah. Where are we going? I, I don't know. Well, what's the name, name of the, the, the town? I, I, I'm not sure. Well, what, what country are we looking at? Uh, God hasn't told me that yet, but he, he wants us to pack up and just step out in faith and, and go to this new land. And so Abraham did have a great faith. He, he was a courageous guy in most respects, but he, he had a problem with, with telling the, the truth. And, and yet God was, was able to overcome that and, and use him. And we, we drop down farther in Hebrews 11, and the listings continue. And another one that you're familiar with is, is Moses, who uh, you know, got the Ten Commandments. He, he parted the Red Sea. He freed the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. And, and he, he was a dramatic leader, the, 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 you know, the greatest that they had had to that point. But Moses had a, a bad temper, and, and Moses was a murderer. It, it says in Exodus 2.11, one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were, and he watched them at their hard labor. And so he's an Israelite being raised in the palace of Egypt, and so he's identified as an Egyptian prince, but he still has this biological connection to his, his people who are being beaten and mistreated by his nobility, by his adopted family. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. And then looking this way and that and seeing that no one was around, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day, Moses went out and saw two Hebrews fighting, two of his own blood relatives. And he said, hey, you know, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? Hey, come on, man. We ought to love everybody. Get along. Let's, let's be friends. The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me like you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. So God forgave Moses for his tempestuous temper. But often our sinful actions carry consequences. In anger, Moses threw the Ten Commandments and shattered them. And in anger, he struck a rock producing drinking water, and then he took the credit for the miracle instead of directing it to God. And as a result, although forgiven, Moses didn't get to see his life labor fulfilled and was prevented from entering the promised land of Canaan. I want you to understand that point. Although God's grace can forgive any sin, we still must bear some scars or consequences of our disobedience. Moses did. It says in Deuteronomy 34.1, Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah and across from Jericho. And there the Lord showed him 
the whole land from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali and the, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, these, these lands of Judah as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev, the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the, the city of Palms, as far as Zoar. And then the Lord said to him, this is the land that I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember, pack up. I want you to go, Abraham. Where am I going? This is the land. And I will give it to your descendants. I've let you see it with your eyes, Moses, but you will not cross over into it. That was a consequence. Will Moses be in heaven? Absolutely. Even though he faced restrictions as consequences of his impulsive actions. It says later in that chapter, Deuteronomy 34, verse 10 through 12. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He did all these signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all of his officials and to the whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Another person who wouldn't be expected to be in, in heaven would be Rahab, the prostitute. In Joshua chapter 2, it, it talks about her. It says, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim and said, Go look over the land, especially Jericho. Scout out this new promised land. The Lord says he's going to deliver it into our hands. We're going to go in and take it in a military fashion. So let's go analyze what we're up against. And so they went and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed there. Back in, in the day, they didn't have the Holiday Inn. And so uh, most of the inns kind of doubled as brothels. And that would be a place where you could blend in if you were from out of town and you were slipping in to do some recon and sur survey the, the area. So that's where they, they found lodging. And so the, the king of Jericho was told that there are some Israelites who have come here tonight to spy on the land. And so the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, the proprietor of this inn. He said, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy the whole land. But the woman who had taken the two men and had taken the two men and hidden them, she said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. And at dusk, it was time to close the city gate, and they left. And I don't know which way they went, but if you go after them quickly, you may catch them. And so, in reality, it says she had taken them up onto her roof. And don't think of a pitched roof. Think of a, a flat, you know, level type of a roof. And she had hidden them under stalks of flax. And then they went out in pursuit of the spies on the road that, that leads to the, the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the, the gate was shut. Before the spies laid down for the night, she went up on the roof and said, I know your God has given this land into your hands. And, and there's a great fear that has fallen upon us who live in this country. We're, we're melting because we've heard about your God dried up the Red Sea and a million people walked across on, on dry land. That's never happened before. We heard what you did to the kings Sihon and, and Og and how you just co completely obliterated their, their armies. And when we heard that, our hearts melted in fear. Everyone's courage failed because of you. 
For the Lord your God, he is the God in heaven above and on the earth below. Amen. She's testifying to, to the Israelite spies. Then she, she wants to make a, a business deal here. Would you please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. I could have said, they're right here. Come and get them. But I, I did some situation ethics, and I, I lied in order to save your lives. And, and so would you give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother and my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them, that you will save us from death? Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. Verse 15 says, so She let them down by a rope through, through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Remember, they locked up the gate, so how are they going to get out of there? I'm going to drop a rope and let you guys escape. She told them, Go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there for three days until they return, and then go on your way. And Joshua 6 says that when the Israelites invaded the city of Jericho, the promise was honored. It says, Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she had hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And then listen to the next phrase. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. She, she burnt the bridge on her old family, on her old town, on her old religion. But now she was accepted by the Israelites as someone who was a game changer. She made a difference. She, she saved lives. So do, do you think God forgave Rahab for her previous occupation as a hooker for hire? You bet he did. Not only is she mentioned in Hebrews 11, this faith chapter, but in Matthew chapter 1, her name appears in the genealogy of Jesus. It says in verse 5, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. This is the same Boaz who married Ruth. They had a son, Obed, who was the father of Jesse. And Jesse, you'll remember, as being the father of King David. David was a shepherd, a musician, a mighty warrior, a man after God's own heart, the king. But in a weak moment, when he wasn't at his post, he let his guard down, and he became David the adulterer. In an attempt to cover up his adultery and the resulting pregnancy, he ended up having Bathsheba's husband eliminated on the front lines of battle. I want you to see the humanity of each of these individuals, the, the carnality of these people who are champions of faith. All of these fallen folks, I expect, will be in heaven since they are mentioned as examples in Hebrews 11 and held up in a, in a positive light in this hall of fame of faith. Hebrews 11:13 recaps, all these people were still living by faith when they died. So again, what makes the difference? It's not your past. It's what you become in the, in the future. It's how the Lord can work through you regardless of the baggage that you're carrying. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. They walked by faith. And there's this listing of people who wouldn't be expected to be in heaven 
but God used them for good. So can you connect the dots? If God could forgive and use all of them, then he can forgive and use all of us if we will fully surrender to him. And that's the final point. Who will be in heaven? I don't know any perfect people, but I do know some surrendered people. And those that have fully surrendered to the Lord will be in heaven. The thief on the cross was told, today you will be with me in paradise. He died under that old covenant. And those who obeyed the Lord since Pentecost die under the new covenant, which was ushered in by Jesus' death. Simon Peter, at the time of Christ's betrayal, denied three times that he even knew Jesus. But he repented. He was reinstated. And seven weeks later, he preached on Pentecost. Interestingly, both Judas and Peter were guilty of basically the same thing, denying Christ. But after their failures, they handled those decisions entirely differently. And those decisions that we make determine uh, our destiny. And so I want to challenge you today to remove any doubt, take any guesswork out of the equation, and, and be assured, certainly, that you will be in heaven. First John 5.13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of Jesus, uh, the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. We can know that today. You can leave this building with that assurance that we sang about, blessed assurance, with that certainty, with that confidence. And, and, and this is what the Bible says. First, you need to receive God's gift of salvation. Mark 16, 16 says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. The, the first thing is to say, I want to be washed clean. I want to be forgiven. I want my past to be buried. I want it to be past. And are we going to make mistakes going forward? Every day. But the difference is that it says in 1 John 1, 9, if we've had our sins obliterated and we'll confess them after the fact when that they come up again, uh, that he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So receive God's gift of salvation. And then I think there's another qualifier that Scripture contains. <clears throat> this one may surprise you. It's reject unforgiveness. You can obey the Lord and do what he's asked you to do, become a Christian, but harbor an unforgiving spirit against a family member, against a church member, against a neighbor, and that can jeopardize your eternal soul. It says in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Amen. I had lunch with a, a friend from out of state this, this last week, and we talked about person we both knew who had had a lot of, of grief uh, following her father's funeral, and she had insisted that her uh, brother-in-law 
ex-brother-in-law not be allowed to attend the funeral. And she had a lot of resentment and a lot of anger, and the rest of the family didn't feel that way, and it, it just created a, a lot of uh, division and difficulty in, in the midst of, uh, of the grief. And this lady's a Christian who, who should know better, but I'm reminded of this verse that tells us that if we will not forgive others, we can't expect God to forgive us. And so who will be in heaven? Those who reject unforgiveness. And then one final thing. Who will be in heaven? Those who remain faithful. The, the Christian life is not a sprint. You know, it's not a 50-yard dash. It's, it's a 26.2-mile marathon. It's, it's a grueling endurance race. Yesterday was the Belmont, the, the longest of the Triple Crown races, a mile and a half. And it really tests the, the metal of the horses and, and the riders. We need to be faithful to the end. That's what Revelation 2.10 says. It says, be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. That's what I want to hear someday. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in. It's not going to be because of any moral goodness on my part. It's not going to be because of any sinlessness or or great achievement. It will be in spite of all the things I've done wrong, but because I have a perfect Savior who says, he, he's with me. There was a, a boat ride on Lake Michigan, and the lightning was jagging across the, the sky. The waves rose. The, the wind blew. And a concerned passenger on the boat approached the captain, and, and she said, do you know where all the rocks are in this lake? And he said, no but I do know the safe course. Would you pray with me?